So if you have your Bibles this morning, and I hope you have it with you and hope you have it in front of you there at home, um, or if you do the electronic version, listen, I know that if you are on your phone in church, I know you're reading the Bible at all times, right? Nobody's ever on Twitter or social media or anything like that. It's, you're, and, and I know that you at home are not texting one another, making fun of the preacher as we go along. Yeah, that's never happened. But if you have your Bibles, turn to Psalm chapter 23. Psalm chapter 23 may be, this may be one of the most familiar, may be one of the most well-known, one of the most often quoted of all passages in the Bible, not just in the book of Psalms, but just maybe in the entirety of the Bible. There may be more plaques hanging on walls that have the 23rd Psalm on. And I've got a little bit of a story that's regarding the 23rd Psalm. We, uh, several years back, we went to Kings Island with a youth group. Uh, and in the youth group was our pastor's oldest daughter. And it was right after, for those of you who are familiar with Kings Island, they had just installed the ride Delirium. And I don't know if you're familiar with Delirium, if you've ever been on it or not, but it's kind of this big swinging pendulum type thing. And it goes up really high, and then it swings back and forth. And there's a big circular you know, seating area at the bottom, and the seats rotate as you go around. Well, this was the first year. None of us had ever really ridden it. And we, were de- we decided this is going to be the first ride that we're going to take while we're in the park. Well, we wait in line. We get up there, and then we finally get seated, and it's... Me, my wife on this side, and our pastor's oldest daughter on this side of me. And just like any other ride, it's one of those that it's really difficult to appreciate how high the ride actually goes until you get on the ride itself. So having said that, the higher that we went and the more and the the faster we rotated, the more freaked out the pastor's daughter was getting up until the point that at its highest peak, she began quoting Scripture. And 12, 13 years old at this time, not only was she quoting Scripture, but she was quoting Psalm 23. And not only was she quoting Scripture out of Psalm 23, she was quoting it out of the King James Version of the Bible to the top of her lungs because we were getting to this place and she was like, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil. And then, once she got done with the 23rd Psalm, she went to the Lord's Prayer. So, I mean, hey, she had both Testaments covered, right? I mean, at least she was doing Old and New Testament. But as we look at Psalm 23, I want us to answer kind of three questions this morning as how the Psalm lays out for us. We're going to answer a couple, couple, three very simple questions. We're going to answer who, we're going to answer where, we're going to answer why. Those are the three questions that we're going to look at this morning. So let's go ahead and let's read Psalm chapter 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, 
and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray again as we enter into God's Word. Father, um, thank you for the opportunity to be in your Word this morning. God, please, from, from my personal standpoint, never uh, let me take lightly the responsibility and the honor of being able to speak from your word. God, I pray this morning that I would divide it rightly, that Holy Spirit, you would speak through me, use my voice as your voice as we look into your word this morning. Father, I also pray for everyone who is here, everyone who is watching, and everyone who is listening to this message, that God, you would open hearts, you would open eyes, you would open ears so that we could hear and receive and respond to what you want us to respond to, whether it be uh, comfort from your word, uh, challenge from your word, conviction from your word. Lord, let your word do its perfect work in us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, it, it may sound a little bit strange to you because one of the things, one of the dangers about very very familiar passages of Scripture is sometimes they're so familiar that even when we go back through maybe in a Bible reading plan and read them again, we kind of gloss over them and we begin to read through them just a little bit more flippantly and just maybe a little bit quicker than what we normally would because, hey, I've read this so many times. I've known this. I've heard this preached. I've been taught Sunday school lessons on this. There's a level of familiarity that comes with passages of scripture like this that we need to really battle against. We really need to make sure that we are not falling into that type of mentality when we're reading and studying God's word. And as strange as it sounds, one of the things that I noticed about this 23rd Psalm some years ago that I'd never really picked up on before is this Psalm is really a Psalm at its, at its foundation, at its core about leadership. It's about being led. And that's, you know, we've used the one word kind of theme throughout these uh, first few messages in the look at, at, at the book of Psalms. And the one that I want to use this morning is the word leads. And this is one about leadership. And as we have talked about so many times already in this series, because in Psalm 8, David wrote about the name above all names. And we learned how through that, that it was a name that had no rival, it had no equal, it had nothing that could be compared to it, not, not in heaven, not on earth, not below the earth. It said that his name was above all names. And then we looked into the New Testament, and it kind of funneled it down even more to this being more than just a name above all names. It gave a name to this name, and that name was Jesus Christ. And then last week, we looked at Psalm chapter 16. And in that, one of the first statements that David made in that chapter is he said, Lord, you are my Lord. And we saw how there were two different translations of the word Lord. If you all will remember, there was one that all of the letters in, the, in this word Lord were capitalized. And we said that whenever you see that in Scripture, that you know that this is translated from the Hebrew word Yahweh, which means creator, sustainer, provider. And then he finished that statement by saying that you are my Lord. And it was a capital L, and the rest of the letters were lowercase. In this instance, we learn that whenever you see that in the Bible, that's translated from the Hebrew word Adonai, which means sovereign or ruler or reigning supreme. 
So we see in this, in your Bibles, which one of the Lord's starts out Psalm chapter 23. Is it all caps or is it just the lowercase the, the lower the uppercase L? It's all caps. Good. One person has it in here. That's great. I know that everybody at home was screaming at their television the television set the correct answer this morning. But we're looking David begins this 23rd Psalm and he says that the Lord. So he's talking about Yahweh. Here He's talking about the creator. He's talking about the one who sustains everything, the one who provides everything, the one who holds everything together and everything in balance. And he's saying that this great, majestic, transcendent God, this Lord, this Yahweh, that is the one I'm referring to. And then he makes this incredible statement. Is my shepherd? Or is my guide? Or is the one that is leading me? And I think that we have to understand this is David who's writing this psalm. And David was not at a loss as to life experiences. David had had plenty of mountaintop times in his life, but he also walked through a lot of valleys as well. So it's not someone who's inexperienced. It's not someone who's just writing to sound good or, or trying to orate something, a song, and, and, and make it reverberate through the annals of time. This is someone who had plenty of life experiences, both good and bad. He had experienced all of the ups and downs just about that life could throw at him. And here he opens with this statement, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord who created everything, the Lord who is transcendent, who is majestic, who is over everything, who spoke a word and galaxies came to life. This Lord, this God is the same God who cares so much for me and so much for you that he's willing to lead us individually. He's willing to be our shepherd. He's willing to be our guide. And I think that David is lost in this moment of awe in how big God is and how little he is. But then he has this realization that no matter how little I am, no matter how insignificant that I am, this really big, majestic, transcendent God is my shepherd. He loves me so much that he leads me individually. And now as we've talked about this, Psalm chapter 8 started with a name above all names. And then the New Testament funneled that down into the name of Jesus. Psalm 16 talks about this creator, this transcendent, majestic God. And then it also talks about the one who's sovereign, the one who reigns, and who's king of kings and lord of lords. And we saw last week how the New Testament funneled that down as well into the name of Jesus Christ. I'm going to ask you to go ahead and turn in your Bibles to John chapter 10. The Gospel of John chapter 10. And what we're going to see is not only does Psalm 8 begin with a name and then funnel it down to Jesus. Not only does Psalm chapter 16 begin with a name and then funnel it down to Jesus. But we're going to see here also that Psalm chapter 23 begins with a name that funnels down to Jesus. The Lord is my shepherd. So John chapter 10, starting in verse 10. These are the words of Jesus. It says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming 
and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I don't know if you can see the parallels between the two passages here. We have one Old Testament. We have one New Testament separated by thousands of years, separated by this, by this era, these, these generations, this time gap. But yet we still see the same theme. We see this, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is the one who cares for me. The Lord is the one who leads me and guides me. And then we see in John, Jesus himself funneling down that concept again and saying that it was spoken about, but here I'm going to give you some definition and I'm going to show you that what was spoken of back then was speaking of me. And you know, and it's nothing new for us. It's been a problem that's plagued mankind ever since the beginning of time, of man himself. And we're no different today, but... I think that it's safe to say that if we look around us and we try to take comfort or we try to get stability or if we try to find some type of rest and peace in our culture, in a political climate, in an institution, in an organization, in anything, I think that if we look, we can say we're not going to find a whole lot of stability. We're not going to find a lot of peace. We're not going to find a lot of rest. Because no matter what side of the political aisle you're on, I believe the one safe thing for us to say is that at the end of the day, we all know that they're not really concerned purely and totally with what's best for us. There's always hidden agendas. There's always motives of heart that's, that's hidden from view. And at the end of the day, it's not about our well-being. It's not about the well-being of mankind and what's best for us. We can look at institutions. That's going to be the same way. There is nothing in that that is ultimately for our best interest. No organization, even though as good intended and as well thought out and as purely motivated as what they seem, there is none that we can look at and go, my peace, my rest, my assurance is right there. Because at some point, probably multiple times throughout the day, if we're looking at that, then we're going to wind up going, what's going on? What is happening here? People done lost their minds. But what Jesus is saying is that I am the good shepherd. I am this one who has your best interest at heart. See, that's the leadership, that's the who that Psalm 23 is talking about. That the Lord is my shepherd. That is Jesus Christ. And Jesus goes on to spell out that lesson for us in John chapter 10. And then I love the statement that follows that whenever he says, I shall not want. And that's probably actually better translated what else could I want? So let me ask you a very personal question for both that are here and, and everyone watching at home. When was the last time that you faced a difficult situation? When was the last time that you saw something that troubled you, heard something that troubled you, and that caused concern and worry and anxiety in your life? When was the last time that that happened and right in the midst of it you sat back and went, Jesus is my shepherd. What else could I want? You see, we fight that battle, don't we? You see, drum set, we really fight that battle, don't we? I know me and you, man, we're right there. Same response. Same response. 
But we have to get to this place that we're understanding that he is the good shepherd. What else could we possibly want? What else could we want? So the next question becomes where? So we know who, and it's Jesus. So where is Jesus leading us? Since he's the great shepherd, since he's the good shepherd, since he's the one that's leading, guiding, that's, that's shepherding us, and that we know that we can trust no matter what, that there's nothing else that we could want, where is he leading us? Well, simply put, he's leading us into rest and restoration. Let's look in verses 2 and 3 of Psalm chapter 23. It says, He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. You know, one thing that I don't know if I've appreciated out of all of the times that I've read Psalm 23, but I definitely want to highlight this morning and have us at least aware of, is notice that everything he describes in there is in the plural form, not the singular. We read it again with that in mind. He makes me to lie down in green pastures, not pasture. He leads me beside still waters, not the still water. See, there's, there's something that we need to understand. There's a foundation to the rest of this psalm that David gives us right here that if we miss this, then the rest of the psalm is not going to point us into rest and restoration. Because he goes on after that to say that though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. One of the reasons that we can walk through the valley of the shadow of death and fear no evil is that there is this consistent, constant, cyclical thing of green pastures and still waters that even though when we're walking through something, that we know that there is a cyclical thing that's happening for the children of God that at some point, if we're not seeing green pastures, there will be. At some point, if the waters are choppy and, and tough and turbulent and are not still at some point, they will be. Why? The foundational statement of all of this is right here. For you are with me. How awesome is that? That he's saying that whether it's, beside, whether it's lying down in green pastures or whether it's leading beside still waters or even if it's in the valley of the shadow of death facing our enemies and those who are wanting to take our lives, pure evil, then I can do all of this. Why? Because you are with me. And how awe-inspiring, how amazing is it that not only we talked about that this grand Yahweh, this creator, this sustainer, this provider is our shepherd and our leader and our guider individually, but he never leaves. Even when times get tough, he does not abandon you. Even when you don't feel him in your life, he has not abandoned you. Even when you are convinced he is not there Rest in the promise that I will never leave you, nor will I forsake you. That is the kind of Savior, that is the kind of shepherd, leader, and guide that we have in our lives. That no matter how bad we think it's gotten, He 
is there. Now, I, I love how the Bible, it doesn't really mince words. You know, because to be honest with you, I would have rather the Bible just have left it at, hey, you're going to lie down in green pastures. You're going to be led beside still waters. And then he could have skipped all of that valley of the shadow of death and stuff and just skipped right to, for thou art with me. That's, that's, an, that's an easier concept for us to understand when we're lying in green pastures or walking beside still waters, right? We feel Jesus in those moments, do we not? I mean, is it not easier to know that God's with you whenever you're lying in a green field, unless you have really bad allergies, then you question that, or besides still waters, unless you're trying to run a topwater bait and there's sunshine and the bass aren't hitting. I mean, those are moments that are challenging, right, Jerry Hall? Tell me. Say, okay, all right, good, that'll work. But the Bible doesn't mince words here. It says that even in the valley of the shadow of death, we'll fear no evil giving us a realistic look here that, hey, that's going to happen. And even in John chapter 10, when we read this, the parallel verse that narrows it down to this good shepherd being Jesus, it says what? That wolves are coming to attack. You have an enemy that's coming to devour you, to destroy you, to kill you. But don't worry, because I'm not just a hired hand. I am the good shepherd who's going to stay here and protect you. The Bible's not mincing words here. It's not trying to paint some, you know, the sound of music running through the hills type picture that our lives is just going to be 100% smooth and lying in green pastures and besides still waters. This is actually telling us, listen, troubles will come. Darkness will come. Enemies will come. And they want to devour you. They want to destroy you. But I have come to give you life and life more abundant. So that's the where. He's leading us into rest and restoration. And I, I love the picture that we get in, uh, in verse 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Jesus is leading us into joy right here. The good shepherd, the Lord, is leading us into joy. Notice something. This table is not your enemy's table. It's not... It's not a table that he that your enemy has setted. It is setted. <laughs> Words are hard. <laughs> He's not seated there at his banquet table having a party, and then all of a sudden you show up and crash the party. This is not his banquet table. But let me clarify something. This table is not your table either. So before we think that we're going to be the ones to set the table and then have God show up, understand it's not your enemy's table, but it's not your table either. This banquet table is God's table that he is seating you at in the presence of your enemies. This leads us into joy. Happiness is one of the most fleeting, frail emotions that we can ever experience because happiness can change just like that. And it's circumstantial. As long as the circumstances are good, we're happy. As long as they get bad, then we're not happy. Jesus, I'm going to say this, I don't think that Jesus is really concerned about our happiness that much. But he is concerned about your joy. He even endured the cross for the joy that was set before him. Because joy is an internal 
peace. It is an internal source from his Holy Spirit that says, no matter if I'm walking through the valley of the shadow of the death, no matter how much evil I'm facing, no matter if the wolves are at my door, no matter if I am seated straight across from the enemy, it doesn't matter what my circumstances look like around me. My source of joy is in the one who has seated me here and placed me here. Because even if it's in a bad situation, I know that he's with me. And now the why. Let's look at the why. Why? Okay, we know that Jesus is leading us. We know that where he's leading us is into rest and restoration and ultimately into joy. But why is he leading us like this? I think that's found in the second part of verse 3. And I think that serves as one of the foundational things for this chapter, for this writing, for this psalm of David. And if we miss this or get this wrong, then we're missing the whole psalm. We're missing the whole point. The second part of verse 3 says, He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. He leads us in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Let's clarify something. It is not us leading us into paths of righteousness. Because let's just be real honest. About, for the, about the 50th time already this morning before I came up here, I went, Ben, why did you do that again? You ever have those moments to where you just, you know you don't need to be doing something, and you're thinking, man, I've got this this time. I am going to do this. I'm going to be victorious over it. It's, I'm not going to do it anymore. And then what do you do? That, right? At least I hope you do. I mean, I'm preaching to myself at least here. But I think that should show us, and especially like, and and when we do that again, and then we try to fix it again, we usually wind up messing it up even more in us trying to fix the initial mess up, and then that just cascades into this big downhill spiral of mess up after mess up after mess up, and by the time we're done, when we've landed at the bottom of that hill, the furthest thing that we're away from is a path of righteousness. Am I right? It's righteousness, his path, his righteousness. Scripture says that our righteousness, the very best that you and I can produce in and of ourselves, the very best product is viewed as filthy rags. Not just dirty rags. Not just kind of, you know, marginal kind of rags. You know, you college students will understand this, especially not, I'm not talking about that shirt that you pick up that you wore a couple days ago. You're like, no, it's still good. Not even that talking about filthy rags, worthless, unusable. That's what our righteousness is. So this morning, if your version of Christianity and your salvation is based upon your righteousness, it's not Christianity. If you're saved by something you've done or your righteousness, you're not saved. It's only through Jesus Christ. It is only through the Good Shepherd. It is only through the one that leads us to rest, restoration, and joy, no matter where we're at, because he is setting us on paths of righteousness, not for us, not for our glory, not for our adoration and acclaim, but for his name's sake. You are set on a path of righteousness to make him famous, to make him known to shout it from the mountaintops, to shout it from that righteous path that he's put you on, that it is nothing 
that's of me, but it's all about God. And everything we do needs to point back to him. So this morning, I want to ask the praise team if they would to come back up. The 23rd Psalm, this chapter, this Psalm of David is meant to orient our spirits. It's meant to orient our minds and our hearts around not just a kind of a bumper sticker social media post theology, but it is pointing us in the direction that the goodness of God is leading us, is caring for us, is loving us, and has sacrificed for us in order that we may be placed on paths of righteousness for his name's sake, no matter what we are going through. No matter what life is throwing at you right now, it is for his name's sake for those of us who call him Savior and who call him Lord. Pray with me if you would. God, help us to understand this morning the lessons from Psalm 23, that God, you are the good shepherd. Jesus, you are the one who cares for us, who loves us. God, you are leading us into rest, restoration, and into joy. But God, sometimes that doesn't always look like we think it should look. Maybe there's times in valleys, maybe there's times in shadows, and maybe there's times that we're faced, uh, see ourselves facing enemies and evils. But God, we know that you've never left us nor forsaken us. And God, help us to understand that the reason why we go through what we go through is the paths of righteousness that you place us on for your name's sake, not ours, not anyone else's, but yours. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.